Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a special returning guest to the show, Michelle Seiler-Tucker, and she is the founder and CEO of Seiler-Tucker Incorporated. She holds the Mergers and Acquisitions Master Intermediary title, as well as Certified Mergers and Acquisitions Professional and Certified Senior Business Analyst. Michelle also owns many other businesses in several different industries. As a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry, she is regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. Her and her firm have sold over a thousand businesses in almost every vertical and have a remarkable track record of success. In addition to being featured in Inc., Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, and USA Magazine, Michelle is an international keynote speaker and makes regular radio and TV appearances on Fox Business News and CNBC. She has spoken alongside many prominent speakers, including Eric Trump, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Kathy Ireland, Donna Karen, Stedman Graham, Randy Zuckerberg, Steve Wozniak, and more. She is the best-selling author of the book, Sell Your Business for More Than What, what It's Worth, and has a new audiobook coming out called Exit Rich. Michelle, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Lance. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. I'm so, I was so thrilled to see you reach back out, your team reach back out, and that you had the audiobook version coming out. Um, I picked up a copy of the, uh, the the written the written book, and I just wanted to tell you before we kind of got into the questions here that it, it, it inspired me to finally write a company manual for our company. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. So when you say write a company manual, are you talking about write a policy and procedure manual? Yes, yes, ma'am. Yep, exactly. You never had one before? We never had one before and I, I needed one, but your interview just kicked me in the rear to get it done. So I just wanted to thank you for that inspiration. You're welcome. Glad I could be of assist. And you know what? The Wall Street Journal, because I was on your show before it launched, so Exit Rich made the Wall Street Journal's best-selling list and it made USA Today as well. And for the audio book, we're going to go for the New York Times. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on all that so far. I hope Thank everybody you. who's listening to the, the previous episode and now this episode, if you're especially an audiobook version, will take a look at that because I'm telling you as a business owner, it is, it is critical uh, to what you're doing. I, I think even if you aren't trying to exit because it, you're at least putting the procedures in place that maybe would allow you to do it in an emergency um, if you needed to offload and, and kind of get exit. And not only that, but it helps you build a much better business that you can, that's sustainable and you can scale because let's face it, without building a business on the infrastructure, the six P's, especially the third P processes, which is what you just did, you know, writing that process manual, you really have more of a job than a business. So it really helps you build a sustainable, scalable business. So when you're ever in that pinch that you got to sell, you actually have a sellable asset. 100%. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so let's, let's kind of get into things here. And I, I would love, you know, inflation is all over the headlines right now, as it should be. Uh, the CPI just came out last month and said it was 8.5%. Um, one, one of the uh, economists that I like to follow, Peter Schiff, he says it's at like 18%, according to a recent tweet of his. I would love, and I know our listeners would too, is somebody who's in who's as successful as you are in the business in, in business and, and you know economies around around the United States and maybe even the world. What is your take on the economy as it stands today with with us seeing record setting inflation numbers? 
I mean, it's, it's really, really, really scary. You know, um, my housekeeper on a personal note just came to us and said, hey, you, have, you need to give me a raise because <laughs> everything is going up for me. You need to give me a raise. I'm like, but wait a minute. Who's giving me a raise? <laughs> yeah. My clients are giving me a raise. So, yes, it's difficult times right now. I will tell you, a lot of my clients were proactive. And um, during the pandemic, they really stocked up on, on supplies because, you know, the supply chain has mm-hmm. been you know, very difficult. And um, we deal with a lot of manufacturing businesses. So many of them, like I said, were proactive and really stocked up on inventory. And um, they are crushing it right now. And the reason they're crushing it is because so many of their competitors didn't stock up and they're having a hard time getting supplies and they're having a hard time getting supplies at a reasonable price. So they're really feeling the pinch and they're feeling the pain and, and you know, things of that nature. So you know, a big, a big applause to some of my clients who, like I said, are proactive and just went ahead and spent the money back then in, instead of being in the, in, you know, in the position that many are faced today. So, no, I'm, I'm not an economist. I can't, you know, what's going to happen? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a mess. It's a disaster. <laughs> you know, um, the advice that I give to my clients is, uh, well, it was advice that I gave to them at the beginning of the pandemic was stock up, stock up, stock up. Yeah, which is which exactly, and you're seeing it. You're seeing it pan out a hundred percent. I did the same for all of our builder building clients. You know, if they could, if they can order, I even had a, uh, a meeting with one yesterday. I said, look, we're probably months away before we actually even, you know, do the demolition on this addition. But if you can order windows now. Now is the time, cabinet stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I understand that you're not an economist, and um, you know nobody is really an oracle. But you did mention some advice, and that you were helping, you know, at least giving some advice like that. So what is one thing that you, what is the best thing that you think a business owner can do to prepare prepare for maybe the next recession? What is something they could do today? Yeah, well, two two big things. Just to go backwards a little bit. Two big things I, I told my clients to do. Um, when this pandemic started, actually three things was, you know, go through your expense items, go through your overhead line item by line item, get rid of things that no longer really serve you, things that you don't really need to operate your business. And then the things that you have to have to operate your business, like marketing is number one. You know, you don't cut marketing when you're going through a pandemic or you're going through a crisis or you're going through a recession or something like that, because you got it. Now you can evaluate your marketing, assess your marketing, and see what's working, see what's not working, throw out the things that are not working. If you're doing Facebook ads and it's not really producing anything, throw those out. If Google works better for you or, you know, LinkedIn strategies work better, figure out what's working, figure out what's not working, and double down on what is working. So I told a lot of my clients, e-commerce clients, SaaS companies, you know, manufacturing companies, et cetera, to double down on some of the marketing strategies that were really proven to be successful for them. And then the other thing obviously is buy, 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 you know, buy now, because you might not have the opportunity to buy later. As far as recession goes, kind of the same thing. You really have to go through your, you have, really have to go through your, your P&Ls, you know, line item by line item. And there were so many things that I went through. And I'm like, why am I paying for this? Why am I paying for that? I don't need this. I don't need that. I canceled a subscription that was costing me $10,000 a year, you know, and it wasn't bringing me anything. So really go through your line item on your P&Ls and figure out, you know, what can you get rid of? What doesn't make you any money? What doesn't produce any results? 
you know, of course you need employees, but can you cut down on some employees? Can you cut back on some employees? Can you reshuffle some? Can you, you know, promote some from within to management and, you know, cut some costs there? There's lots of things that you can do from an employee standpoint. standpoint. Can you get interns in? So you really have to look at it line item by line item to see, you know, what you can get rid of that's not going to kill your business. Marketing, if you get rid of marketing altogether, that's going to kill your company. <laughs> so that's one thing I suggest during a recession. The other thing I, I suggest is really look at your business because one thing that really hurt the hospitality industry was one revenue stream. If you look at re restaurants, mm. they have one way they get paid, right? They get paid by clients coming in and eating or taking food to go. So when we weren't going to restaurants and everybody was on lockdown, they got slammed. I mean, they got hit. They probably took it worse than anyone else. And most of them don't have congruent revenue streams. Now, I do have some restaurant clients that I'm working with to help them develop some private label, uh, uh, really popular items that they sell in their restaurant that they can also repackage and sell in grocery stores, you know, or sell online. And so you really got to look at your business and ask yourself, what business are you in? What's your superpower? What business should you be in? And add congruent revenue streams. You know, don't really get so outside of your box. I mean, if you own a restaurant, you don't want to get into a construction company <laughs> building real estate because there's no congruency there, right? But get into e-commerce businesses. Maybe look at it, getting into some retailers. Maybe looking at, you know, I haven't we have a restaurant that has a small little boutique that has really cute items. So every time somebody goes and, and patrons that restaurant, they're always buying stuff, especially women, because women are impulse buyers. And so you have to really, like I said, look at your, your, your expenses, cut what you can cut without hurting your company, and then look at what other congruent revenue streams can you do. Like for us, we, I own a graphics company in Houston, so I'll give you another example. And we mostly specialize in installs for first responders. So police cars, ambulances, fire trucks. The good thing about that business is it's somewhat recession-proof because these vehicles have to have graphics, right? They have to have a way to identify themselves. The problem is getting installers. <laughs> and, you know, right now, because I know you're about to ask me about employees. What do you do about employees? So we've been struggling trying to get employees. So I went back to my partners. I said, what business are we in? I said, we're in the install business. I said, what's our superpower? What do we do better than everybody else? Mm -hmm. And they said, Customer service, quality control, graphics. We're the best at art. We can create stuff that nobody else has created. And we are great at quality. In fact, we can produce these graphics like a paint by numbers. You just open them up and you just simply put them on the car. It's so easy. It's so simple. Nobody else is doing that. And I said, okay, that's our superpower. What business should we be in? We should be on the uninstall, uninstall market. We should be shipping the graphics to other people to put on and get us out of employing installers. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. That was such a great answer. You actually answered a question that I was going to ask you. I don't even have to ask you anymore. And that is, uh, you know, you talked about marketing budgets and that is exactly one of the mistakes that a lot of business owners make is they go like, oh, we're just going to cut that right away. Right. And yeah. I don't think that's, that's the right thing no. to do. Because and I say you got to double down lamps because everybody else is going to cut. <laughs> yes. So that's the first thing that companies do is they cut their marketing. And that is just ridiculous. There's two things that will kill a business faster than anything. And that's lack of aim. Aim is always innovate and market. If you stop innovating, you're dead. If you stop marketing, you're dead. <laughs> so you can't cut those two things. You have to double down 
because other, your competitors are not going to do it. They're going to be fearful. And that's the first thing that they pull the purse strings back on. Yeah. Right now. Uh, so on to hiring, like you, like you kind of alluded to, um, Right now, there's a there's a acronym that is very popular in the business in the corporate world, and I'm sure you've heard of it: DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And what that is what that is causing um, the discussion to surround about is like: Are we really hiring just for diversity versus meritocracy, which is typically what we used to do in the United States? And I would love your take on that. Do you think that's a long term trend or a short term thing that's going to burn out? Because it seems like it's a disaster, uh, a road to disaster if you're just hiring for sake of diversity? I think it's, a, I, you know, it's hard to say, right? I don't have a crystal ball, but I think it's a short-term trend because I think they're going to find out that they're not hiring quality, you know? And if you're just hiring for diversity and, and look, I believe in hiring the best person for the job. I don't care what you look like. <laughs> I don't care, male, female, what color you are, I don't care what you look like. You need to hire the best person for the job, the best for the best person to fit in that seat that you're hiring for with the best core competencies. 100%. I agree with you. I think it is a short-term thing, and I think we're going to learn a lesson really quick. So uh, on that note, too, another trend we saw during the, during the pandemic was so this headline after headline after headline, and it drove me crazy. I was like, do you, you know, do we really think the traditional office setting is doomed and that we're going to go all remote working and that now people are coming back and it's sort of a hybrid? Where do you see that sort of, uh, how, how do you think that's going to pan out? Do you think we'll end up in a hybrid position or back to the traditional office setting? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a difficult call because, um, especially for what I do, you know, I have so many people that are applying for positions with us in M&A and they want to work from home or they want a hybrid position. And right now, you know, the way that we do things, the way we're so hands-on with our clients and the way that the whole team interacts with each other and interacts with our clients, both buyers and sellers, it's very difficult to do that virtually. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen too many M&A firms make that, you know, make that switch yet. But for us, it's very difficult. Um, and we're kind of turning down people that, that only want to work from home I'm on a hybrid approach um, because I don't feel like we're ready for that. So I also a lot of employees are coming back saying, I'm bored at home. I want to go back to the office too. So I think, you know, it really depends upon the individual. You know, I I just spoke to a lady that's been accounting for 40 plus years. She goes, honey, I'm tired of being at home. I'm a grandma. (laughs) I want to go to the office, but I want to go four days a week. Mm -hmm. Well, I can work with that. Right. So I think it's really just an individual's choice. Um, I, I think it's going to hurt us in the long run because you want to interact. People need that interaction. People need that camaraderie. People need that team spirit, you know, and you don't really get a lot of that at home. So, and I think it depends upon the industry, e-commerce, SaaS businesses, you know, businesses like that have always been pretty much remote virtual, right? And I think those industries will continue. But when you're looking at like a manufacturing industry, are you looking at, you know, healthcare or M&A or different types of industries like that that take a lot of interaction? I think it's going to be much more difficult. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's kind of move on to a little bit about, you know, the contents of your book. And uh, so, you know, it's it's titled Exit Rich. And uh, forgive, forgive me for unpacking it shortly here, but um, basically it is a it is a guide, in my opinion, about how you set your business up to be able to exit 
in the future, meaning selling it, um, you know, whether it's to a larger corporation or, or just individuals or internally or whatever. So what, what is one thing do you think that every entrepreneur should do today in their business, even if they don't have an exit plan? Well, number one I should do is read Exit Rich. <laughs> I agree. I listen to the audio version that's coming out in May. Yeah. Um, but the, the big thing that they really need to do is really look at your business and ask yourself, do you have a business or a job? Hmm. Can your business survive without you? Or do you just have a glorified job that you're going to work at every day versus a business that actually works for you? So look at your business and ask yourself, what am I, you know, can this business run without me? You know, what am I doing that I can delegate? You know, again, it goes back to the people, which is the first P and the six P six P's of Exit Rich. It goes back to the people and looking at, you know, do you have what identify the seats you have in your company? Because here's the bottom line, Lance, you don't build a company, you build people and people build the company. Without people, you have a job. Yeah, right. And right. And it's, a, it, I mean, what's the point you could go work for somebody else if you just wanted a job that, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the biggest things about owning a business is you're trying to build a business so that it is a tangible asset that you could sell and will create wealth. And then through wealth is, in my opinion, is where you get the true freedom in life, right. To do what you want to do on your spare time or, or start another business or, or whatever. Um, so if somebody picks up your book, they are working with it. They're working with you and your team. Um, I'd love your opinion about what do you think is the better way to sell your company if you're looking to do that is, you know, tell me if you could give us some examples of like internally versus externally. So in other words, if I have some employees that I've groomed for five to 10 years and I think, you know, exactly what I expect. Um, maybe this is me being a little bit emotionally attached to my business, but like I want it to sort of carry on with a certain legacy of because we've proven that we have like a very good customer service um, relationship with people and stuff. Internally versus externally. Would love to hear a little bit more about uh, your yeah. experience. You know, and you asked me, what's the first thing you should do? And I said, look at your business to determine if you have a business or a job. The second thing that you should do, kind of going back to that question, which ties into this question. But the second thing you should do is really plan your exit from the beginning. Like Stephen Cuppy says, start with the end in mind, right? And business owners don't do that. They wake up one day and go, oh my God, I can't deal with the employees anymore. I can't deal with this pandemic. I can't deal with inflation. I can't deal with this or that. You know, there's always going to be a this or that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's always going to be stuff that we have to deal with. And so you really need to build that business from the beginning with the end in mind, rather that's selling it, you know, to your employees, rather that's transferring it over to your children or selling it to your children. You have to start with the end in mind and you have to determine, okay, what do I want to sell my business for? That's the GPS exit model. You've probably read about that, Lance, in my book, because it's in the first chapter is you really have to determine what is your end game? What do you, what's your destination? What do you want to sell your business for? Always know what your business is worth. It's financial suicide yeah. to not know what your business is worth every year. And then what is your time frame? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? You know, are you young and just getting started? Maybe it's 20 years. If you've been in business for 15 years, maybe you're ready, you know? And so then you got to figure out what's your destination? What's your business worth today? What's your time frame? Who are your buyers going to be? And then what's those buyers criteria? Because there's five different types of buyers. What's their buying criteria? What are they looking for? What will make one buyer outbid all the other buyers? And it's usually those proprietary assets. It's usually those patents and trademarks and contracts and databases and client base, et cetera. You know, and that's what that buyers are not just buying cash flow. Buyers are buying synergies. They're buying synergies that will catapult their current business to the next level. 
So you really need to build that business from the beginning because here's the bottom line. Even if you don't sell, you want to transfer internally to your children. Don't you want to give them a good business that runs on all six Ps? You don't want to give them a dump. <laughs> so you need to build that business from the beginning based upon the six Ps, which is people, product, processes, proprietary patrons, and profits. And if you want to sell to your employees, kind of the same thing. You want to build that business that's sustainable, scalable, that the employees will want to take over. Again, if you build a job and everything's around you, it's not as your kids aren't as interested in it and your employees are not going to be as interested in it and buyers won't be either. So back to transferring businesses to your kids, though. It used to be prominent. I mean, you used to see a huge percentage of, of businesses passed on from generation to generation, right? Generational wealth. You don't see that anymore. It's like less than 10% of businesses are actually passed on to the next generation because children don't want your business because they see how hard you work. <laughs> they yeah. see the sacrifices you make. They see, you know, you don't make it to their, kid, their soccer game and their plays and vacations, et cetera. So they don't want your business. Um, so that, that very seldom happens. Now, selling to your employees is a slippery slope, just like mm. selling to your clients. And it's, it's called an ESOP, and it can be done but you got to be very careful and you want to make sure you have an advisor because if you start dealing with an employee who's like, Oh, this person's perfect. This person's perfect. You don't really know if somebody's perfect. Just like, you know, when you get married, you don't really know <laughs> everything about them. So you've been with them for a while. And so you really need an advisor. So you can play good cop, bad cop. And you want that advisor to get in, qualify that buyer, your employee. Make sure that they sign non-disclosure agreements to maintain confidentiality. And it's going to be very tight when you're selling to an employee because if the deal doesn't happen, guess what happens? They talk <laughs> and they commiserate and now they're upset, you know? So it's a slippery slope because if it doesn't happen for whatever reason, now, like I said, they become upset. But if you got a third party qualifying them, then they, they don't take it personal. They're not upset with the owner. They're more upset with us because it's our rules that we set for. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. That was such an interesting insight about uh, the internal cell with an employee and what that could mean. And I, because mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't, my first thought was like, oh yeah, sure. They'd want the company. Well, what if they don't want it? What if, you, and then what if the deal falls through? Like you said, yeah. what is the fallout from the fall through? And they know all your stuff now. Like most employees don't know yeah. all the intricate you know, details of your company. They don't know the details of your financials. They might have a, an idea. They don't know how much you're making, what you're running through the business. They don't know all these intricate details. So it's a slippery slope. You gotta be very careful. You gotta make sure you have a trusted advisor. Same thing with selling to a client. We had a client, uh, a seller call us the other day and he's like, Michelle, I wanna sell to my buyer. And I go, how big is the buyer? He goes, 60%, 60, 70% of my business. I go, oh my God. <laughs> I said, do you not understand that if this, something that falls through with this buyer, you just lost 60% of your client base? That would be devastating. Yeah. So you got to be very careful when you're trying to sell to employees, to your customers. Children are not, you know, it's not as difficult to, to sell to your children, but you still want to make that set you still want to set that up properly, right? You still want to make sure you got a, you built a good business and don't give it to them. You know, maybe sell or finance it to them, sell them a portion of it, something like that. So they have some skin in the game. Yeah. 
Yeah. We're running up on the half hour here and I have two more questions for you. And the first one is sort of a completely left turn, but I have to ask it because it's been in the headlines in the last month and it, ha- it relates to you being a woman. Uh, so, uh, President I am? Biden- I'm a woman? Uh, yeah, clearly. <laughs> the, the, uh, President Biden, uh, Nominated in the Senate confirmed uh, uh, Kentanji Brown Jackson to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court, but she could not answer a question. So I have been asking every woman that I can speak to um, recently if they can if they can answer the question she couldn't answer. And that is, what is a woman? What is a woman? What is a woman or how does a woman differ from a man? Uh, You can answer it however you want. But the question was specifically to her was what is a woman? Yep. Well, um, we are special. We are special creatures. We're extremely unique. And men have been trying to figure us out for decades and still haven't been able to. If you read the, the, the book from my friend, my friend, Dr. John Gray, who wrote Women Are From Venus, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, mm-hmm. you know, we're complex creatures <laughs> and very unique. You know, number one, we can have a baby, right? Yeah. Birth to, to a human. You know, that's something men can't do. But I just think women are, uh, you know, we're emotional spirits. We're extremely creative, you know. And I'm not speaking for all women, but, you know, most of the women I know um, were extremely creative. And, um, you know, we're just built different, you know. And like I said, a woman can bring life into this world, you know. I mean, men are part of it. We can't do it without you. But we are giving birth and actually, you know, bringing life um, into this plant, into this world. And, you know, I think, God, there's such huge women. I mean, we're mothers, we're nurturers, we're caregivers, you know, we're providers for our family. We're, we're kind of the glue that holds things together in a family. And in my company, I'm the glue that holds things together in my companies. I'm the, I'm the glue that holds deals together in mergers and acquisitions. Without me, the deals will fall apart. So women are glue. They're the glue that holds everything together. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you for answering. Uh, so the other question was, it was uh, the last time you were on, I asked uh, if you could go back in time, what is one piece of you give yourself? What piece of advice would you give yourself? knowing what you know now, but uh, the question this time is um, knowing what you know now and since the book launch, Mm -hmm. if you could give yourself one piece of advice prior to you writing this book, what would it be in particular to this book? It's a really good question because I put my heart and my soul (laughs) and six, six weeks of sacrifice to write my books. You know, I don't, I don't think that there's anything different that I would do about you. Well, you know, I, I think about this all the time, Lance. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot to put that in the book. I forgot to put that in the book. I forgot to put that in the book. Guess what that is? That's another book, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But as far as writing this book, getting Sharon Lecter as my co-author, getting Steve Forbes to endorse Exit Rich, getting Karen Harrington, the original Shark from Shark Tank, to write the four, you know, getting Brian Tracy and Tom Hopkins and, and um, Les Brown and some huge, huge, huge names to endorse the book and then, you know, being a Wall Street Journal, USA Today bestseller, there's not a lot I would do differently. Now, I wish we, we had the numbers. I wish we would have made the New York, New York Times. That's the only thing we would have done differently mm. is make sure we made that New York Times, but that's tough, you know. 
uh, people for decades have been trying to make the New York Times list, and we're hoping to make it with, now we will make it with the audio version. <laughs> let, me come, let me proclaim that now. Um, but I think, you know, I'm so proud of the work that we did. I'm so proud that I sent my manuscript to Sharon Lecter, and she said yes right away without any changes, <laughs> which was shocking. And so I'm just proud of the work and, and the responses that I've gotten from everybody, like you said, Oh, I finally wrote my manual. <laughs> and I hear those kind of responses all the time. Oh, I do wish we had more Amazon reviews. So anyone, uh, any of you that have read Exit Ridge, please, please, please go get me an Amazon review. I need to get to 100. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I encourage, I would encourage everybody else who is listening and has read the book, please do go to Amazon. Give, give her a five-star review. It is a phenomenal book. Um, so audiobook, where can people pick it up? And then ultimately, where can they find and follow you on uh, social media if they'd like to get in touch with you? So I'm everywhere. You can you can find me on LinkedIn, connect with me. And it's always Michelle Seller Tucker. Um, on Facebook, it's Michelle, it's Michelle Seller hyphen Tucker, which it shouldn't be, but Michelle Seller Tucker on LinkedIn, Twitter, we're everywhere. Follow me on social media. Make sure you tune in and listen to my podcast, Exit Rich. We've got some... Um, Wonderful guest. We've just interviewed the founder of Snap Fitness, who's sold Snap twice, once for 40 million, once for 30 million. And then um, you can reach out to me at silertoker.com. And most importantly, you can go get the audio book. You can buy that at Apple. You can buy that at Kobo. You can buy that at Barnes and Noble. So it's going to be at those three locations for $2.99. I mean, deal. That's less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And after the month of May, it's going to go back up to the original price of $24.79. Um, so go get your $2.99 copy today. And guess what? You still become an Exit Rich Lifetime member of the Exit Rich Book Club. And that allows you download. You can go to our site and download all the documents to operate your business. Like Lance said, he finally made that, you know, wrote that policy and procedure manual. We have policy and procedure manual samples non-competes, org charts, all the documents to run your business. And guess what? We have documents to sell your business. Sample prospectuses, sample due diligence checklists, letters, letters of intents, purchase agreements, closing documents, all the documents to operate and sell your company are there. In fact, sometimes we go there and say, oh, go for that document. So those documents cost me over $50,000 to create. And they're yours for $2.99 when you buy that audio version of Exit Rich. Beautiful. It is 100% worth it, everybody out there listening. I, I highly encourage you guys uh, to take a look at it. Michelle, so, thank you so much for being a, a second-time guest on the podcast. We always appreciate your time. Thank you, Lance. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to your listeners for listening.